Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we look back on Till Hatton's Turkish Airlines Open victory and hear some great tips from five-time European Tour winner Matt Fitzpatrick. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name's Tom Clark and I'm joined by someone who's really mentally on a beach somewhere already because he's going to Thailand in two days' time. And that's Elliot Heath. How are you doing? Hello, Tom. Good afternoon. Yeah, I'm like a Premier League team that's 12th in the table with three games to go and just has nothing to play for. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say, no, I'm being very professional and make sure that all my work's up to date. And um... Well, you know how hard I'm working at the moment. Well, it, clearly, clearly, here you go. You've had your hair cut? Have you? I haven't. I don't know why you say that. <laughs> you have. I have had my hair cut. Yeah, I'm not going on holiday. Um, but yeah, no, you must be looking very much forward to your Thailand trip. Yeah, very overdue a holiday. Uh, really, are you? November's are you a long, sure about that? A long time to wait I think for you have, summer I holiday. think we should scrap all your holiday. I think you should just work in the office every day of the... Yeah. No, I haven't had a full week off yet this whole week, so it's going to be this really whole nice. Week. This, Sorry, this whole year. year. See, there you go. Look, I'm is sorry. that true? Is it, that true? That is very true. So I'm looking I'm forward to... I'm going to look back through my records and see what they say. You know, going on the beach, maybe listening to the podcast next week, watching a bit of golf, but uh, not having to work or commentate on it. You know. <laughs> you or comment on it. Comment on it, yeah. You never yeah. commentate on it, yeah, unless I've, something's happened which I've, I've missed. Oh, good. So, um, what have you been up to the last week then? Have you played any golf? Yeah, I played yesterday. It was a beautiful day in Surrey. Uh, fortunately, we're not flooded or anything. Like It looks very bad in the north of England. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was a gorgeous day. Uh, no wind at all either and just beautiful autumn colours. So, you must have surely shot a really low round then. Uh, I think I shot my third straight six over. Um just slapped it around and, and was that in a comp or just a knock around or uh, a friendly game but I saw my swing on video it was bad <laughs> but it's good you need to see things like that it's not very it's not a very athletic movement is it your swing no not at all uh, especially in slow motion when you see that, your, I mean your, your swing hangover. in slow motion that must be very slow uh, you will get, I have a nice rhythm some, <laughs> some say <laughs> Well, quite. But yeah, I went to the rugby on Saturday as well for the second time. My girlfriend has a box there via her work. Um, so yeah, it's really good. Went to Harlequins in Twickenham at the Stoop. Holds like 15,000 people. Free booze as well. So it's always quite... Um, <laughs> so, why does every story that you enjoy involve something that's free? Well, yeah, there was free booze. I was sat next to a bloke called Chris Robshaw as well, who I believe <laughs> used to be England captain. Well, I was kind of behind, <laughs> directly behind him. That's like going, that's like going to Wembley and going. I was sat next to this bloke called David Beckham. Yeah, <laughs> but now I'm getting into rugby. It's, it's you good. have no idea. I bet you don't even know the rules. How many points for a try? I know the rules: five for a try, two for a conversion. <laughs> I can't believe you actually answered that. <laughs> I do know the rules. I do know. But, uh, who were they playing? I think. Let, it, let's face it, Elliot. If there wasn't any free booze there, would you've gone? <laughs> I would probably think about it. There we go. So that's that's how much you're into your rugby, isn't it? So, uh, oh boy, it sounds like you're having fun. Good stuff. Excellent. Uh, what about you? Um, I doubt you played golf. You're not really a golfer, are you? Well, no. It's, it's also freezing cold. Um, that was lovely on Sunday. I didn't even have a jumper on. Lunatic. It was freezing yesterday. Um, no, I bought a new suit. You know, there you go. Wow. I know, exciting There you go, listeners. Exciting times, yeah. You know, I'm getting ready for the arrival of my second child in for how, for how long now? Ten weeks, maybe? Max? Maybe less than that. So, wow. um, yeah. Exciting times. Exciting, uh, slightly stressful times. So, uh, yeah, all good. Anyway, let's talk about some golf, because I did watch a little bit of the professional golf. At the Turkish Airlines Open, um, there's a, a dramatic event which actually was finished under floodlights um, because Till Hatton beat Matthias Schwab on the fourth playoff hole uh, under the floodlights in Turkey to win his fourth European Tour title. Um, Schwab was the 54-hole leader but was caught after only shooting two under in the final round. 
Only shooting two under. What a chopper. Yeah, um, Turk, what's it? A finals event, finishing at 20 under par. Should it be more demanding? I don't know, but... They always... Yeah. And they always they were going low time. last week, weren't they? Yeah, so there was, there was six men finished at 20 under par, and uh, Hatton won after Schwab bogeyed the fourth extra hole. Hatton won $2 million, uh, the largest ever winner's check in European tour history. Is that true? Outside of the US Open, I think that's true, yeah. Outside the majors, which is not an event, run it's a by the it's European a huge, tour. huge check, and um, he's now also suddenly up to thirty for the world and sixth in the race to buy, and he's probably not had the best what eighteen months or so. He was playing really, really well a couple of seasons ago, and he's fallen back from where he really was. Did he um, win the Italian Open last year? I can't. Or was that the year before? He, he's. I don't think he's won since the Dunhill in 2017. Yeah, he won the Dunhill and the Italian Open back-to-back weeks. So yeah, so that was 2017. Two years yeah, ago. yeah. So actually, he had a big chance to win. He finished second at the Dunhill um, last year as well. So he's a very decent player. Had a few things going on, I think, in his life. Um, his putter, which he was so, so strong with, uh, let him down a little bit. But... Back playing really decent golf all of a sudden, isn't he? Yeah, back up to 30th in the world, which means he will be in the Masters next year. So he was really happy about that. And uh, I really liked his honesty of his interview where he was just saying, like, you can't take things like that for granted. When you do see so many golfers, like, fall off a cliff. And, yeah, like, like $2 million. Do you million think he was a little bit huge. calmer on the course on, uh, on Sunday and over the, over the tournament? Uh, well, he was talking about how how he was getting in his own way a little bit during his interview, but I mean, he shot five under par, won the golf tournament, so I'd be pretty happy if yeah. I was shooting those kind of numbers. Well, yeah, I think that one of the criticisms levelled at Hatton is that he's very, very fiery on the course, to a degree, too much, even to say that sometimes he puts off his playing partners. Um, but And also, he does get in his own way. He's, he's so busy having a go at himself, he's actually forgetting about the next shot that he's got to play. So... I'm hopeful. I think there's a, a there's a line, isn't there? You know, you can be passionate, you can be, you can sh- show your emotions. There's nothing wrong with that, but you've got to just make sure it doesn't cross the line. And um, I think Hatton got it spot on. Yeah, even on the fourth playoff hole where he won, uh, he had a birdie putt to win from like eight foot left. Uh, it just dribbled left. It was downhill right to left. And he was absolutely fuming that it didn't go in. He was going like, how is that not going? How is that not going? How is that not turned? And it's like, well, Tyrrell, you didn't actually give it enough break. That's why it didn't go in. And um, luckily for him, Schwab then made a complete meal of it and handed him the title. I felt bad for Schwab because a 24-year-old Austrian um, actually but never well, won before. We had a conversation really about well. him last week um, in the office. Um, as saying actually his stats are absolutely incredible um, from tee to green and then his putting is the thing that usually lets him down a little bit and then every time I saw him over the weekend he was draining putts left right and centre always with the flag left in as well which is one of those things Um, yeah I remember going on a press trip a few years ago with some Germans from Munich and they were they were talking about him quite um, highly Mm. and saying how just as he turned pro he was sponsored we still is by Audi, Ping, Red Bull, and Hugo Boss. Like they're four massive kind of blue chip companies that That's not, clearly yeah. show just how yeah, yeah. exciting. I do his like could that be. he's sponsored by Red Bull. Is he? Is there any other golf? I'm just thinking. Are there Lexi many? Thompson. Yeah. But yeah. So there's there's not many. Is there any other golfers that are other than Lexi Thompson? And no, I don't think so. Tiger sponsored by Monster. Yeah. I can't think of any other. You think re- how much Red Bull have pumped into other sports? Um, if you look at motor racing or, of course, football, where they actually started owning football clubs and stuff like that. Um, I don't know whether you like their energy drink or not. Which I, I do. I used to drink a lot of it when I was young, but I had to stop. Um, I think it's interesting that, that those kind of sponsors are still out there. There's still potentially big companies like that who want to back youngsters and you know sh- show that they think that they're particularly good players and they're going to get a lot of airtime. And, uh, yeah, I think he's one to really look out for, especially for next season, yeah. because he's, if you, uh, as good a ball striker as he looks he is, like he is, then he's going to do very well, isn't he? Yeah. Um, 
definitely got an exciting future ahead of him. Um, Bernd Wiesberg has kind of shown him the way. And yeah. he's only 24, so he's younger than me. <laughs> well, same age, but I think he's younger. <laughs> well, yes. It's depressing. Well, it's not depressing. <laughs> chill, chill. You're, the older you get, you realise that's not depressing. It's depressing when the people who were born 10 years after you start winning majors. That's when it yeah. starts to get depressing. But anyway... Still got the senior tour to look forward to, possibly. <laughs> you hit it about senior distance, don't you? So um, there was something. There was one other. Um, well, there was a story of incredible note, um, and that was Eddie Pepperell, who was disqualified on Saturday after he ran out of golf balls. Now this sounds like something that I might do, um, but no, he sounded like he had, had an absolute shocker. I haven't heard of a pro running out of golf balls in. Forever. Well, it happened on the Challenge Tour this year, I think, didn't it? With that French guy. But didn't he didn't he shoot something absolutely outrageous, though? I can't remember. I think his name's Clement Berardo. <laughs> Off the top of your head. Yeah. No research, I promise. Um, but yeah, Pepperell just clearly had a mare. He could have asked his players and partners for a spare ball. Would have got a two-shot penalty. But at the time, he was level par. He'd lost four or five balls in one hole, which would mean he'd be dropping like six over or something. So how many golf balls do you think he had? Uh, I would how, many, how, many, how many golf balls do pros go out with? And half a dozen? Probably more than that, I reckon, because they give away a lot, don't they? And they're meant to change ball they after change, every, yeah, like, every three, three holes. holes. So, yeah, maybe it's a dozen. Maybe they just get a dozen. It's a, I think also it depends on golfer to golfer as well, doesn't it? So, um, no, he had a shock. I mean, uh, yeah, people... Have you watched Tin Cup? No. I, outrageous. Can people believe that Elliot hasn't seen the film? Never thing? seen E.T. either. Oh, well, you know, we know that, which is even more ridiculous. But So there's a, there was a lot of social media videos of sort of um, the final scene at Tink, Tink Cup or whatever. I think it's the final scene. And he's obviously hitting lots of golf balls into the water at the US Open. I've given it away now, haven't I? Um, uh, yeah, so it was, seemed to be a bit like that moment, but Peveril obviously didn't... Um, he didn't have his best day there and then just meandered off, didn't he? He got disqualified, so... Well, he got disqualified for not completing the hole. So I think he gave up at that point instead of asking his playing partners. <laughs> he, got, he, got he got disqualified. He gave, he gave up playing the, the tournament. Yeah. He could have just hand in his card. Oh, here's a... I shot a 51 today. I've done an NR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I shot a 51 today, but hang, hang on a minute, Eddie. You haven't played the last six holes. <laughs> Um, so Pepper's a he's an odd character isn't he he just seems to suddenly have these fits of I don't know if it's rage or just I don't know what it is he's a maverick isn't he somebody that you'll look back on and be like there there weren't many players with the same character as Eddie Pepperell yeah and yeah hopefully he comes back from this because uh, I think he was injured at Wentworth yeah I do I do wonder if, yeah I do wonder if he has got a few issues going on with injuries and stuff like that um, which then if something like that happens where you'll just suddenly have a meltdown on a hole and you just feel like oh, I'm getting out of here you know um, especially with such a big tournament with such a lot of prize money hanging around it's tricky isn't it so um, moving on to this week where there's even more prize money um, up for grabs we're looking at the Ned Bank Golf Challenge um, it's week two of the European Tours final series uh, at the Gary Player Country Club in Sun City um, for of course the Ned Bank Golf Challenge which is which has been in the, the final series for a couple of years now, hasn't it? And there's a lot of money, and the whole point of having a lot of money was it's supposed to get all the best players from the European Tour um, and from around the world playing in, in this event. So, has that happened? Well, no, it hasn't. I mean, Lee Westwood um, won the event last year, and he's there, and uh, Tommy Fleetwood headlines along with races by leader Bernd Wiesberger, Matt Fitzpatrick, who's also um, up in the top five of the race to buy. But other than that, there's no Rory, there's no Rahm, there's no... Who else? Who else are missing? Uh, Danny Willett there? No. Uh, well, I think Willett's playing. Oh, is he? Maybe I'll uh, there's, there's obviously no Americans. Is no it, Justin the, Rose. No. They, it, all the big names no are not there. They are not there. And um, it's a big... The big loss. I mean, Matt Wallace is there, Poulter's there, Stenson's there, 
Um, but then you start looking at the other names, Herbert, Kijama, Van Royen, Perez. They're the ones that are going to have a, a big chance this week to win a huge check because some of the big names in the world have just not bothered to turn up. Well, last year, Rory played in this event and so did Sergio. Hmm. So for some reason... The prize money hasn't brought them back. And if back. any of those guys had a good week this week, then they'd have a really good chance of winning the whole lot in Dubai uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, as it is, Wiesberg is now looking at this as a huge opportunity to win. Yeah, and Matt Fitzpatrick, I think those two are the only two in the top five playing this week. Mm. And if one of those guys can win or maybe come second or third, then, yeah, they've going to make up a lot of ground. Yeah, Wiesberg is already a bit of a way ahead anyway, isn't he? So um, he's got a, a big, big chance. I mean, I know there is a lot of points, etc., to be up for grabs this weekend and in Dubai. Um, but it is disappointing, isn't it? Rahm hasn't played since the Spanish Open. Um, McElroy decided to skip the first two events of the final series. And Hatton uh, is not playing this week, even though he's now sick for the rest of Dubai. Um, he does, as you've written here, Elliot, say that it looked like basically nobody wants to win the race to Dubai. If I was at the top of the European Tour, I would be fuming. As a fan, which I am a golf fan, I just think it's stupid. The, I think the players are disrespecting the Tour. They are essentially saying, we don't care about winning the race to Dubai. It's not prestigious. We'll play in the final event because the winner gets $3 million. But no, we're not going to play in Turkey or or uh, South Africa. Like, why do, Why wouldn't Roy McIlroy play the last two weeks? He's got the whole of December off. He's going to have half of January off as well. Like, these guys are meant to be athletes. They're meant to be world players. And I don't know. Yeah, they've it, just got too much money, maybe? Is that it? it well, I think for some of them, they've got an awful lot of money. They don't need the money, do they? Um, but it's not about... It shouldn't be about the money, should it, this event? This event is a chance to be to win the race to buy i.e. get be the order of merit champion for European Tour you know it's one of those big big prizes one of those things that you tick off if you have a chance to do it then you go for it because those are the things which people actually look back at your career when you're done and say look he he managed to win this this and this especially sorry the Ryder Cup players like Sergio and like McElroy and like Ram. surely you'd want to turn up and whistling straights next year on the Ryder Cup team as race to Dubai champion. Yeah. I don't get it. Maybe they, maybe they, it doesn't actually mean that much to them. Well, clearly not. Yeah, because it just seems odd. I mean, they could still, those guys who are missing, if they have a very good week in Dubai and win, then they're going to have a chance because of the amount of points which are, are up for grabs there. But it, it could be taken out of their hands almost this week if... Wiesberger or someone that we're going to talk to in a, in a minute, Matthew Fitzpatrick, um, if they win, then the chances are they're going to be right up underway and they're going to have to have really bad weeks in Dubai for the other guys to win. Like Rory's just won the WGC, yeah? He's fifth in the race of Dubai. He, he could have easily won in Turkey or finished top five. He could have easily won he this week. He finishes top five every week. Exactly. Every time he looks at a golf tournament, he's in the top ten. If he, he, played, shoots, he shoots 79 in the first round every week and he's still <laughs> finished in the top 10. Like He could have easily won the race to Dubai and now he needs to win in Dubai next week to even have a chance. And uh, It's just it's a bit depressing, but you know he's committed to the PJ Tour. The PJ Tour season was entertaining and this is just a little bonus at the end. I think it's really entertaining anyway. I think... The event last week was, was 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 excellent. I mean, Hatton, we haven't really spoken about but actually finishing under the floodlights, which was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, we got a question about that. We'll discuss that later. Oh, that's cool because it was it was uh, you know that just really summed up. You got some really good photos, and it showed that they were going that extra mile to make sure everything happened right and all that. So that was great. Um, and a few people will actually see that and said, "Oh, that would have been brilliant to have been part of." Um, but anyway... But the, yeah, uh, sorry, a positive would be that I think the likes of Kitigama, Van Royen, Perez, they're like the up-and-coming guys. It's given them chances to grow. And um, it was an entertaining tournament at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's... And like Schwab as well. Like These are probably the guys that we're going to be watching for the next few yeah. years. And if you, can you imagine if one of those guys now win this week... It, they're going to win the the biggest pages by a, such a mile. Uh, as you said, it's already the biggest paid winner's prize ever on, in a regular European Tour event. So um, it's going to really make their 
their careers, going to make their lives. So it's great opportunities for those guys. Um, one person we're going to t- talk to now who is playing is Matthew Fitzpatrick. And uh, we caught up with him recently, Sam Tremlett, who uh, you will remember has appeared on some of these podcasts in the, in the past. He spoke to him recently and, and chatted about um, how he thinks that some advice from Fitzpatrick could help the amateurs, especially around mental game, short game and bunker play. Can you prepare for pressure and if so, how, how do you do it? How would you uh, yeah, I mean, you can, you can try. Uh, it's tough ones you're actually in the, in the moment, but, um, <laughs> you know, just putting yourself in, in pressure in practice on the putting green, you know, trying to hold six foot with some, some meaning behind them, whether, you know, you're playing with your mates for a fiver or something like that. It's, uh, pressure like practice. That's pressure, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's good fun too, you know. It's, uh, but yeah, that, that'd be my best way of, of describing how you can practice for it, yeah. Do you think technically about your swing whilst on the course, or does do you just focus on that just on the range, or do you tinker no, at all? No, definitely. I mean, I won't say I don't tinker really. Um, you definitely think about it. You know, you hit bad shot. We're all good enough to know what we've done wrong on that, and mm. uh, you know, we do it every day. So um, yeah, it's one of those things that you sort of just try to try to push to the back of your mind if, if it doesn't go go right, and you kind of work on it end of the round but you, you certainly have your thoughts out there yeah do you ever like question it it's like oh well, why on earth has that happened or like yeah you... occasionally you get the odd one yeah, yeah. you get the odd one that you that stand from? out and yeah. it's like where's that come from <laughs> getting in after the range and it all makes sense afterwards but um yeah the majority of the time me personally i tend to sort of know what my fault mm. is which is which is a good thing you know if you, if you know it you can kind of control it a bit better yeah so how do you respond to a bad like pre-round practice do you uh, mentality in terms of oh god I'm not well, doing it well on the range you know or... I think it's one of those there's, there's times where I've had terrible warm ups and there's times I've had brilliant warm ups and both mm. shot opposite scores to, mm. to how you've warmed up and I, and I just think that's golf yeah, yeah I just think that's golf it's you know you get a bad break on the first and, and all of a sudden you know you're two over through one and then mm. you bogey the third through bad bounce and you know all of a sudden you've got some ground to make up it, for me it's always about starting starting well you know if you can get off to you know good few pars in a row mm. um, I think that sort of sells sells the nerves and, yeah. and just yeah, and just gets you feeling comfortable with your surroundings really good stuff um, so switching on to like short game stuff now so what would you say the number one tip is for like amateurs in terms of getting up and down more uh, getting up and down it would just be being really good inside eight feet you know yeah. uh, not to be rude to the amateurs but <laughs> the, the, the average ship shot's not really mm. um Going to be probably inside five feet. Uh, inside so, the flag, you know. Kind of yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, but I think that that's the big thing. If you can really work hard on inside eight feet and, and become better than most amateurs at that, then you'll you'll make make ground. So, do you have certain drills just inside eight feet, five feet? Yeah, you know, thing? just like a, a clock face drill, mm. and you know, just putting tees at different different footage, um, and then just just holding holding puts really, and then yeah. maybe. You know, playing against yourself, trying to beat your score, and, and it's just so adding a bit of pressure. pressure yeah, as yeah well. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of like bunker play, what would you say the number one tip is for amateurs in terms of? Uh, bunker play would be to take plenty of sand. <laughs> there's, mm. there's, um, but take plenty of sand with lots of speed. There's too many amateurs that are like, oh Slow yeah, down. I'm going to take lots of sand, but they just decelerate. It's, mm. um, yeah, it's just pretty bad to be honest. But uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely, you know, it's got to accelerate through it in the sand and, and that's the sand's there to, to help really mm. um it's there to slow the club down and help the ball pop up so yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all about acceleration yeah so how much time do you spend roughly like dividing your time between long game short game stuff uh yeah you know it's one of those things it depends on on what you need to work on and <coughs> how balanced your practice is um i'm all about trying to make everything equal and, and you know so you don't you're not outweighing yourself on on everything on anything in particular so um, it's just about sort of what you feel like you feel you need to work on and mm. you know if you keep your own stats you can sort of figure it out yourself as well so yes yeah, so I suppose that links in my next question was what's the last shot you hit before the range does it depend on what you're working on or the one you want to have confidence yeah I mean I, I always end on a driver you know it's, mm. it's I work my way up from wedges irons woods driver um, you know in comparison to some, some guys do the opposite or mix it up a little bit then hit some iron so it depends really but uh, more often than not it's you know your last shot preparing for your first tee shot that uh, you're going to go go mm, play yeah okay right four more um so who do you admire as a ball striker 
Uh, ball striker Henrik Stenson. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think everyone knows that he tends to lead green and reg and mm. ball striking stats every every year. So I can't get rid of those. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he, loves he, he knows what he's doing. He's very very good. Uh, so, what do you think the best ball strikers have in common? What do you think they all do? Like, uh, it's all their distance control. You know, right. for for me, the, the the best, the guys that have good distance control is uh, is is why they're so good. You know, they mm. can control the, how far the ball goes from five iron right through to, to pitching wedge, and, and that's that's huge. And um, if you you can be pin high every time, you're going to make a, a lot more birdies than, than most. Yeah. Um, so. I suppose that links with what do you think is the most important element, like distance control. Would you say being able to flight the ball differently, left to right, right to left, that stuff is uh, as yeah. important? Or? I mean, I think flighting it is, is very important, keeping it lower. Shaping it, I don't think, is as important anymore. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the way the ball is, the way the clubs are. Yeah, I never really feel like I've got to move the ball a lot. It's mm. kind of just having one shape and moving it up and down, really, whether, you know, depending on the wind, if it's into or downwind or you know crosswinds it's for me it's all about yeah it's all about flight control rather mm. than shape so what would you say is a good drill to practice that uh that's a very good question one that i'm trying to figure <laughs> out to be honest. Uh, unless you've got a trap man it's a tough one to do but uh mm. you know just for me i just hit back shots off my back foot you know just really trying to drill it and keep it low and mm. um that, that's all there is to it we sort of track the height and on some of those shots when we're messing around a little bit and uh, see how they compare. Yeah. You use trackman quite a lot, don't you? Yeah. Putting and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I met a caddy Billy. Oh yeah. yeah. So saying how you use trackman for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, gotta get your money's worth. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There was Matthew Fitzpatrick. Whenever I see Matthew Fitzpatrick play, I always am shocked by how good he is around the greens and especially out of bunkers he seems to get up and down from every single bunker and it's so frustrating as someone who's not a particularly good bunker player not a particularly good golfer of course but someone who's not a particularly good bunker player how they make it look so easy it's incredible isn't it yeah uh yeah they pretty much if it's an easy bunker shot they'll get it up and down nine times out of ten won't they Although my bunker play at the weekend was very good. I love that. You seem to be completely bored by what I just said there. Well, they are professional golfers. I know, but but that, I think it's one of those they that I get the uh the tactic around getting out of bunkers. I understand that, but I struggle with it for whatever reason and it's amazing when they say, Oh, this is an easy bunker shot. They always put it to within a foot. Because they've got good technique, Tom, which well, you don't have. I know that, but it's just it's not just that, though. It's not just that about the technique. It's also just the control and stuff like that. It is incredible, isn't it, when you see when you see pros do do it. And you, they make it look so easy. You go, oh, I could do that. And every now and then, one out of a hundred <laughs> flukes it, doesn't it? So, Well, uh, take Fitzpatrick's advice. Take a lot of sand and use a lot of speed. Which, Whereas uh, yeah. I reckon you don't use much speed. Oh, I think you duff quite I am, a lot. Uh, no, well, I'm no. Actually, I'm uh, at bunkers. I am deadly. If I, if I, if you are ever see, if you ever see me in a greenside bunker, and you are fifty yards away from me, at uh, fifty yards away from the pin, if, if the pin's between me and you, you are in deep trouble because I will, I thin out of bunkers. All the time. I just. Think, I think I need to just go for more sand. I think as much as possible. Yeah, um, listeners, I, I remember. Hit, I have hit bunker shots off the. Did, did you? What did I play with you when I hit on the train track at? West yeah, I was Hill? just going to tell that story. <laughs> go on, say it. Go on. Uh, so we were at West Hill Golf Club in Surrey. Tom was just short of the green, I think, in the greenside bunker. Hit a massive drive. The train line is probably fifty yards beyond the green, and Tom hit it over the fence onto the perimeter of the train line it was very close um, like there was no trains about it, yeah probably one of the worst See, shots I've ever seen lo- <laughs> lots of speed so you're saying uh, Fitzpatrick's saying speed and sand yeah just I went for speed but no sand <laughs> yeah which was uh, which is not I cannot recommend not doing could that. you imagine if you were someone's foursomes partner there greenside in two you're looking fairly good well you just walk to the next it, the, well, I think the T is in that direction so uh, for the for the third so you know that's saving some time isn't it but uh, no, I think try. The thing with those any advice that you hear from professionals is great if you actually can go out and practice it a bit, um, because you actually just suddenly find something that does really work for you, and that's a lot 
of what the guys do. They, do. they don't try and do too many different things on the course. They just actually uh, do what works time and time again. And it's that repetitiveness, which, which is so important in golf, isn't it? Yeah. Also there, Sam. So Sam, we got that from um, Wentworth Week and Sam got declined by a couple of people, didn't he? Yeah, but I did notice in the edit there at the end, Sam did say thanks, man to Matt Fitzpatrick so I think they're like best buddies now and um, do, you, do you not think he just said man to the Matt I think it was thanks man do they high fived <laughs> I don't know but um, yeah that was very good of Matt to give us the time and uh, he clearly like put a lot of thought into those answers yeah no excellent excellent and yeah I hope that he has a very good uh, week this week because he's had a lot of second places uh, this week uh, this season sorry and actually hasn't got a win so on that who do you think is going to do well at Nedbank. Uh, Putting you on the spot here. Oh, I always throw this back to you. I can't remember who I said. Um, well, one of them, I will take your pick. Oh. Scott Hend. Uh, after <laughs> a torrid summer, he has just made two cuts in a row at two massive events. And uh, as you know, Tom, this event is played at altitude. Indeed. Scott Hend is a very good altitude player, having um, finished runner-up at the European Masters twice. Yeah, lost in the playoff, and and that's two. He lost in the playoff once to Matthew Fitzpatrick, who again is also someone else who seems to do quite well at altitude. He's got very good record um, there. Um, so actually, I think Fitzpatrick, who we're obviously chatted to about a lot now, um, I think he's going to do particularly well as well. Yeah, Louis Usain's a tournament favourite. Um, Eric Van Royen in his home country just made the playoff last week. Loads of people in good form. Yeah. So if you want to find out what our betting tips are for this event, do Google Golf Betting Tips and click on our post. Uh, there's also a PGA Tour event this week after a week break last week, and that's the Mayakoba Golf Classic. Um, it's being played in Mexico, of course, and Matt Kuchar defends the title he won last year, whilst Jason Day, Tony Finau, and home favourite Abraham Anser also play. You will, of course, remember that last year, Matt Kuchar won $1.3 million and was heavily criticised for only paying his local caddy uh, $3,000. However, he did eventually pay him fifty grand, I think. Um, Kuchar won with a record 262 score of 22 under last year. That's a lot of twos. Um, also, this week, uh, of note, Chris Kirk returns after a seven-month break to deal with alcohol and mental health problems. So an article with him on the, the Golf Monthly website and it's good to see him back on tour. Yeah, that was um, a really nice story. Obviously started off bad but he seems like he's in a really good place now. Yeah, uh, He talks about his family, being on the road, um, just so honest and brutal and he does really sound like he's in a good place. Yeah, he does. And when you see someone who's Chris Kirk, obviously a good, very good golfer uh, in his own right, absolutely. And um, uh, when you hear that people have overcome something like that to get back on tour, we really do hope he does well. Um, Matt Kuchar then, last year, he got all the headlines, the good ones, the bad ones, didn't he? Um, how do we think he's going to do this year? Uh, I don't know. I'm not a Kuchar. <laughs> I'm just off the Kuchar train. Well, I know this is... This I is, know you love him. This was the derailment of Matt Kuchar, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'd like Kuchar as a... Yeah, as I don't know Matt Kuchar. So. I wonder if L2 can will be back on the bag of anyone this week. What happens if he's on back on the bag of Matt Kuchar? Well, I, th- I think they're friends. Yeah. I think he's forgiven him. I think he's 50 grand richer as well. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, it's a chance for Kuchar, I think, to also get rid of some demons and um, get over it. He's going to get some headlines, isn't he? It's a hard. It's going to be impossible to ignore. So, um, um, yeah, I hope he does well. And it's not a bad bad um, field there really there's a couple of guys who um, have got President's Cup picks playing so Jason Day who got picked by um, Ernie Els and Tony Finau who got picked by Tiger Woods didn't they yeah do you reckon those guys on the back of that because Finau hasn't won now for a while let's to put it mild. I hope Tony Finau doesn't win this week because it's just it's another small event I think well, Kuchar won $1.3 million. Like, it's not a small event. It's a I mass- guess it's not. Every PGA Tour event is a massive event. You can't say, I don't want... Do you want Tony Venner to... Well, can't he win this week and next week and yeah. the week after? And- but at the moment, I think he's only won the Puerto Rico Open, which again was a small event, and um, that was like an opposite field week. So he's not really won a main season full PGA Tour event. Which is ridiculous when you think how good he is. I know. 
And how many second places had? He's had 20 second places, I mean. Yep. He's not 20, I think it's about 10. But um, Also, sorry, a little plug on Tony Finau for Golf Monthly Magazine. There's a brilliant interview with him this month. Really good. I think it's six pages. I would recommend that. Who's on the front cover of Golf Monthly this month? Matt Wallace. Yeah, so yeah, check out for the magazine with Matt Wallace on the cover. If you see it in any uh, news agents in the UK or around the world, I think we're around the world. Um, and yeah, check it out because there is a fantastic interview in there. And there's, a, there's loads of good stuff in there actually. So um, yeah, who's going to do well this week then? I am going to go for Abraham Answer. Why? Because he's Mexican. <laughs> No, I like him. He's a really good player. He was second to Patrick Reed at the Northern Trust, I believe. Top 50 player. And um, I really like his swing as well. Nice and loose. Yeah. It's not one of those like technical ones that you would see. He's a very decent player. Uh, I think Jason Day actually might have a good week this week. He's not been playing very well, but he's got the nod um, from Ernie. Rightly so. For the President's well. Cup. He's a very good player. And he, when you think how good he was two years ago where he was splitting every fairway at 350 yards and then holding every putt he looked at one of the best putters on tour uh, I just hope he can get into a good place and, and find his form again uh, and this could be the, the kind of week they, that he really should do because we would be talking about him not long ago being being up there and winning every major or being having a great chance in the majors and that conversation has come to a, a halt hasn't it with do you know honestly in my lifetime aside from Tiger Woods I think the best golf I've ever seen for, for a prolonged stretch maybe McElroy but Jason Day perhaps even above that he was absolutely incredible for 18 months yeah. and um, I don't know maybe it's injuries maybe it's mental stuff but yeah, yeah I'd love to see him back I don't think he will be though I, he's been away for like four years now or three years a couple of years I think he's still got some game hasn't he so. but he was just incredible true and he's going to be uh, at the um, President's Cup which is on the second week of December um, he was picked along with Joachim Neiman Sung Ji Im and Adam Hadwin who got the surprise pick by Ernie Els didn't they uh, who did I think was going to Ben Ben was going to be in there so those four uh are added to the President's Cup team and are good for but then Tiger Woods who is the captain of the uh, USA team decided to pick Patrick Reed standard we knew that was going to happen Tony Finau yeah we knew that was going to happen Gary Woodland we knew that was going to happen and then who did Tiger Woods pick as his fourth pick oh yeah that's right he picked himself which is uh, amazing it's I think when we when he got announced as being captain we said I wonder if he'd pick himself and we were joking because we didn't think I oh, would be nowhere near the team or whatever. And uh, suddenly, no, he's, he's obviously won a couple of weeks ago and he's thought, yeah, I'm up for this. I don't want to go all the way to Australia and watch other people play golf. I want to go there and play golf myself. What's the point of being captain then? Stupid. <laughs> what do you mean, what's the point of being captain? Well, Can you imagine? He's now going to lead from the front. I'm the captain and I'm, I'm going to make every call I can tell you where you're playing who you're playing with and I'm also going to go and play and win some points as well it's going to be inspirational from the front leading from the front Tiger out there and in he'll, they'll win by 10 points oh that's a bold claim and then the next Ryder Cup captains it, everyone's going to be shouting for Tiger to do it <laughs> yeah. Tiger's going to win Tiger's going to be the Ryder Cup captain he's going to be the playing captain in that as well no, that's not happening. Well, you you mark my words, it's going to happen. I'll have a bet with you. Okay, go on, how much? Um, Cup of tea? £20. 20, oh, hello. Still, oh. Where are you getting £20 from? Um, all right, yeah. To, when, when? Next four years? Four. Uh, for the Rome one, then? Uh, no, it'd be in America. Oh, well, that's not the next one. Then. Right, 40 quid, then. We'll up the stage. <laughs> okay. When Tiger is, what, 50 years old, he's going to be playing captain, is he? No, 47. All right. You mark my word, it's going to happen. Probably, maybe not. Uh, but uh, it's going to be exciting, though, isn't it? It's good. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think it's brilliant. I'm looking forward to seeing Royal Melbourne as well. You uh, Two weeks ago, you were the most depressed man ever about the President's Cup. And since then, you've made me talk about the President's Cup two weeks in a row. And you seem to have got really excited about it. Is that the Tiger effect having an effect on you? Possibly. Yeah, I'm not really excited about it, but I I might watch the highlights. 
and it's on one you, of the world's you greatest golf courses. You, you are, are you just change up? You're so up and down; it's ridiculous. But, but I do think the international team has a good chance. I just like making it a good I contest. I think there's a few of the American team who actually aren't playing very well. Kepka, we're not sure about his knee injury. DJ's not been playing very well. Um, I mean, Tiger's picked himself. I would say Tiger has just won, uh, but we don't know what he's going to be like. Also. Um, there's no Jordan Spieth and there's no Ricky Fowler. Who would have thought that? I know, mad, isn't it? So um, they've got a big year ahead of them. Ricky started the year really well, won at the start of the year, and then it's fallen right back, hasn't he? So they've got a big 2020 ahead. They could have, you know, start off like a train and suddenly you're in the Ryder Cup team and then everything's looking rosy again. Or it, it could be a real battle and they're thinking whether they're actually going to get a chance to do it. On American soil as well, don't want to miss out on that chance. Ricky Fowler missed out on the chance to play at Medina, didn't get picked when perhaps he should have done. I reckon if they picked him, they would have won that um, because, of course, would have, he's such a good putter and everything like that. And that's the thing. Spieth and Fowler are such good putters that they're always going to be mentioned in the match play team events because they can win so many points just with the flat stick like going back to Woods picking himself like Jordan Spieth won three points at the Ryder Cup last year when he was out of form and had a bad year so yeah he should have picked Spieth but oh. um, back on to picks though somebody Ernie Els would have probably picked if he picked his picks a week later I know I've said picks a lot then is Ho-Sung Choi Yes, what good a miss he's going to be. Oh, so for the he team. is the obviously the internet sensation, as we call him, the guy with the nutty fisherman's swing. Is that what they call it? Yeah, and uh, where he kind of swivels completely round 360 degrees as he hits the ball. Uh, if you haven't seen it, do Google Ho Sung Choi and watch the videos, or go to the Golf Monthly website, of course, where we've got some uh, great stuff of him. But he actually won again uh, at the weekend, won the Japan PGM Championship, not one that I'm completely aware of. Um, that's his third Japan Golf Tour title. He shot a bogey free final day, uh, final round to beat Sh- Shugo Imahira by two. I didn't do you know who Shugo Imahira is? I do. He, um, he uh, was, what did you say to me? He's second year, week before as well? Yeah, so Shugo is the guy who kicked Mickelson out of the world's top 50 by finishing second yeah. last week. He also. You know I thought you were going to say that. I wonder where that sentence was going, was going to go. He was the person who kicked. It's like, hang on a minute, who did he kick? Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, did he assault? Oh no, you mean he uh, is a Japan Golf Tour king. He's inside the top fifty of the world, and he received an invite to the Masters this year. Yeah, plays Yamaha clubs. Played in three majors this year. Uh, top top player, and yeah, Ho Sung Choi held him off in the wind. Didn't make a bogey. And we, we, we watched the highlights, didn't we? He was chipping around the green. I mean, for all his nutty um, antics on the tee, and even when holding some putts. Uh, his his short game around the greens was absolutely phenomenal, wasn't it? He yeah. was getting up and down from some really tricky positions. So uh, fair play to him. He's now up to a career high, 162nd in the world, and he's going to get some invites to some things because he he is someone that people want to see because he's got such a unique um, game, but. That's the game of golf, isn't it? You can look completely different to someone else, but actually you can still beat them. Um, there's no correct way of doing everything. If you find a technique which works for you, then you use it. Yeah, if you haven't seen those highlights, which I doubt many of you will, because even I found them hard to find. They're on the Golf Monthly website. and um, Even I found them hard to find. Someone is well-versed on the internet as you. Well, I didn't mean that to sound bad, but honestly, I think they're about six minutes long of the... The final two rounds, where he is wearing the same outfit on consecutive days, uh, they're just... He's they're, a character, isn't Yeah, he? they're just brilliant to watch. Yeah. And the putt he holds on the 17th to make a birdie, which eventually won in the tournament, was awesome. Yeah. About five-foot break on it. He does a couple of spins. <laughs> it's, it's superb. No, it's really good. Um, and talking of TV, there was also a report... The Lords, uh, the House of Lords, had a report calling for the Open Championship to go back to being to being shown on a public service broadcaster this week. Um, now, it's something that's only just been discussed, and obviously, with everything that's going on in Parliament at the moment, um, not, nothing's really going at the, through at the moment anyway. But um, it's interesting that suddenly this conversation is is again back at the forefront of the decision makers and. Um, 
there's a chance that actually maybe the Open Championship could appear again on live TV. They're also uh, talking about other things that maybe should be on live TV, such as the Ashes, uh, such as big events like that. Um, what do you think? Do you think there's a chance that the Open's going to be back on terrestrial? Well, if the government rule it, then yeah, definitely. I think that would be fantastic. I've got Sky, I'm a subscriber, but uh, just to see it on that, there's a table, isn't there? Have you seen it? Category A, Category B. And yeah, it's like o- the crown jewels of sports, as it's, yeah. as it's known. So the ones that need, must um, be shown on terrestrial TV. And there's also then the look like a, a Category B, which is they must have their highlights yeah. shown on there. And at That's the moment, the open. the open is in the highlights side, having been... Um, obviously shown on BBC for for many, many years. But then you look at the ones which are the crown jewels. There's obviously Wimbledon final, the World Cup, the Olympics. But then there's like the Rugby League Challenge Cup final, things like that, which are obviously day events, much easier to put on. They're not, you know, in the case of that, they're only a couple of hours long or whatever, and they're much easier for broadcasters to look after. The thing which the BBC really struggled with was um, being able to put the resources in... Um, into into golf and also ha- putting it on a channel somewhere, um, whereas obviously Sky have as many millions of channels and quite a lot of money. Um, so I haven't got to put. I, I you know I'm a big advocate for putting any sport on terrestrial TV. It's how people get inspired to take up the sport in the first place. But they must do it in a proper way, and they must make sure that there's proper investment in there because otherwise it's going to look uh, the the coverage is not going to be good enough, is it? Sort of, but I don't. I don't really subscribe to this. I think the golf does its own talking. Like the Sky Cart's great and all the Open Zone and all that, but really, you're tuning in to watch the back nine on Sunday, aren't you? Well, I think. Well, I think a lot of people will watch a lot of hours of it. Yeah, that's a, that's what. And you, you're watching that's the what golf. You can't, that's what you can't replicate through highlights. Is people just sitting down, having it on almost in the background, and it just being there, and then you t- dipping in and out. And then people coming into the room and getting involved with it and leaving and coming back, you know, um, it's that which people just don't have because it, there is a paywall there, and the paywall is a big, um, big obstacle for a lot of people. Um, if you said, you know, that thing, that TV program you've just been watching for seven hours, if you had to pay for it, would you actually do it? You go, no, because I'll, I'll just turn the TV off or I'll watch something else, uh, and that's the thing which doesn't which is a big, big barrier to, to golf. And golf's got to be really careful. We've seen how many golf clubs have shut down in recent times. Um, it's only going to be str- harder. You've seen all the, the issues that people, golf clubs already had with the weather already this winter, especially up in the north where they've had horrendous flooding. That's going to affect the golf clubs, which are businesses at this time of year when actually there's actually still quite a lot of golf happening and a lot of events happening at golf clubs which actually keep them afloat whether it's Christmas stuff or whatever it is. Um, so the more that golf can help itself and help look after it, then the great. Then whether it's the broadcasters have a chance to actually work alongside people like the RNA to make sure that they do broadcast it well enough, I don't know what, what the answer is. But. but yeah, viewing figures have fallen by like 3 million people or maybe even more since it's gone to behind the paywall. So it, yeah, that's got to be negatively affecting the sport. Yeah, so we'll 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 see what um what comes from that, and we'll keep you guys updated. So moving on, we have as you've already mentioned some questions um, sent into us on social media. So should we talk about the floodlights and Turkey first? Yes, I'll just find that question. Uh, that was from Kev underscore three sixty on Twitter. Hi, should Kev. we play more golf under flight floodlights? I think yeah, the LUT did it with the Dubai Moonlight Classic. Also, we've seen it in Formula One with Bahrain or Singapore, I think. Singapore, had, yeah, Singapore have it under floodlights. Um, so, yeah, I think it'd be brilliant. Like, the Moonlight Classic was really cool, and the European Tour are quite innovative already. If there's a course that can host it, I don't know, does Turkey have all 18 holes under floodlights? I mean, there are golf courses out there, obviously, with floodlights. I remember, I'm having a flashback to having a uh, conversation with James Mason, who Elliot will know, who's a contributor to Golf Monthly, at the 2010 Ryder Cup, Celtic Manor, where they did have a few floodlights out on the course. I can't remember why they had floodlights there. They just did. And um, it, it was... 
found affected and by by the weather and and um it went to a monday i don't even remember and um we were there i think on the saturday night or the sunday evening and they'd had to stop because of the bad light and they had the floodlights on and james going oh you know we could have, you know, they could they could have played on in the floodlights and we all kind of laughed at him a bit um but actually it showed on sunday that you could do that um the only issue is if you're playing it in the evening there's there's massive positives because you can actually put it on in front of an audience when people aren't at work and actually you could actually get more people watching yeah. it and people could come after watch work to watch it as well but i do wonder if there's going to be how much of a golf course can you actually have under lights yeah it's very different to a football match where there's the pitch is the pitch you know where the pitch is but in golf you can hit it anywhere can't you and if suddenly you fit it into uh, a spot where there's actually not enough light i think that could be an issue couldn't it so i think if they managed it well um then it has potential, doesn't it? And for the playoff hole, it was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I loved it. I've, I've never played night golf myself, but I, I really would like to. I know they do it in lots of places, like Dubai and and um, Turkey, and I'm sure somewhere else, but I can't. I think Oman, Rob Smith went on a trip there. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a great idea. That is definitely an event I'd like to see on the schedule. Yeah. it's. Uh, I, th- I think it's a good idea. Um... Guy got no sorry golf forks on Twitter. After, golf forks after the KSI and Logan Paul fight. Which golfers would you love to have a fight and why? <laughs> Did you watch that? Uh, I didn't. Um, no. Um, uh, Brian Shepherd has commented: Tiger and Sergio, surely. <laughs> it's a question: Which goal, two golfers would I like to have a fight? To see fight, yeah. <laughs> Um, let me think. Would you go heavyweights or would you go like lightweights? Oh, I think I was thinking lightweights. Uh, Soren Kelson versus um, Ian Ian Woosnam. They're both small, aren't they? Um, Kepka and DJ. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't think I want to see any golfers fight. I think if it's like, who do you think would have the best fights? If they were both, you know, happy to just step into a ring. I think Kupka DJ would be the one that we'd, we'd all want to see, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, Chris Wood got, would have a quite a nice jab. Because <laughs> he's tall? Yeah, Chris Wood and Robert Carlson. Can you imagine? That would be a good fight. Who would be the, what would be the biggest mismatch? Um, probably Kepka and somebody small. Um, Victor Hovland? No, Victor Hovland, he's, he's got big shoulders. <laughs> Um, another one it's an, it's an odd question another one would be um, Miguel Angel Jimenez and Keegan Bradley oh yes no, uh, round two yes yes I said well they or the have, rematch they didn't have a fight they just had an argument didn't they I think yeah. it was more Keegan Bradley's caddy anyway but yeah that was hilarious um, right somebody says Alan Wigan on somebody Facebook somebody says is that the name of the person Alan Wigan on Facebook why Hello. hasn't one of the obvious rules been changed in regards to mud balls punished for hitting the fairway do you know I do you know this is just realised I was thinking about something during the week uh, during the weekend um, so saying if you've got a mud ball then you can pick and place it and clean it and all that is that what you're saying because then it gets what is mud it's you know, any, tr- yeah. any spot of anything on your ball I mean if you've hit your ball with with a with a golf club and it's gone 300 yards and it's hit the ground there's going to be a mark on it somewhere there's going to be a mark on it from the club hitting it and then a mark on it hitting the hitting the grass or whatever it is so it would just get to the point where it'd be ridiculous and every time um that the ball was on the fairway it would end up that someone would be arguing going oh hang on no i've got some dirt on my ball it's going to make a difference I think that's the the game of golf has got to be careful. It used to be just play it as it lies, you know, just get on with it. And we we already talk about slow play. And I was thinking I was thinking about this for slow play. What do you think about this? So on greens you can't mark your golf ball. Yeah. You just got to get on you've just got to get on with it. Especially from close range, it is it is silly. That that takes a lot of time. And again, you're going to have some mud on the ball and stuff like that. But I think in certain weather conditions, and if you, the greens are really soft or something like that, you can say, no, you can yeah. mark them or whatever. But actually, especially with, um, the professionals, they're playing 
red hot places they follow the sun sun year long it's very rare that they're playing in conditions where actually they do have a huge amount of mud balls so um i think actually just if you said no marking you can't line your ball up you can't have any marking on the ball to line line up to the hole you just got to play it as it is and try and get in the hole um i think that's something that would really quicken the game up i'm not sure how popular it would be though also preferred lies are introduced to sort of stop mud balls aren't they so yeah there, there, is, there is a rule there already you know if 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 it's it's also for like if the ball's um getting embedded in the fairway and stuff like that isn't it um so yeah, you should never really have a mud ball on the fairway unless it's really muddy in the summer and then that's just unlucky but in the winter you'll always be able to clean your ball if you hit the fairway yeah exactly so i think i get his point but i think actually it's opens, opens up a i don't mind a mud ball actually if it's if it's on the right, it goes it, to the left. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. If the mud, if you're looking at it, and the mud's on the right. It usually goes to the left, and if it's on the left, yeah. Once if it's in front of you, on the back of the ball, as it were. Then it will go low, won't it? I don't know. No, I don't know. Um, another slow play question here, Andy Forshaw. What have rolling bodies actually done to improve tournament pace of play? Well, they've put in place some penalties now haven't they but it's a good question what have they done well the european tour introduced their four point plan i think the pga tour will be doing something similar so watch this space yeah and we've had it this year haven't we that on tees at wentworth actually didn't they? they say if they were out of position or not and how many minutes they were behind yeah. and things like that so uh, field sizes have been reduced. it's still slow it's, it's not going to suddenly they're not going to suddenly play two and a half hour rounds you know that's not going to happen they might improve pace of play by 20 minutes or something like that but if we think that suddenly that golf is going to take half the time then you you know you'd a good way to make it half the time would be find a floodlit nine hole course have it on the evening, get a big blue chip sponsor, two million quid for the winner. There you go. That will attract a lot of new people to the game. Well, True. a lot of casual sports fans. Yeah, we could we could do. We could do. But yeah, 18 holes, when they're playing for that kind of money, it's always going to take four and a half hours. Yeah, exactly. Any others? No, that's it. Oh, great. Oh, um, well, somebody, then. sorry, I'll say Scott Bleggy. I think that's your name. Uh, says, why is there a two iron? Uh, um, I'll let you answer that, Tom. Why is there a two iron? <laughs> why is there a two iron? Is that, why is there a two iron? Um, um, what, what, where? I guess to go further than a three iron. <laughs> is this a joke question? Uh, well, yes. I actually have a two iron in my bag. I have a two iron ping crossover with a graphite shaft. And it is absolutely <laughs> awesome. It, I can hit it miles. So... Um, People quite, I think people say, well, hang on, why are you using a two-iron? Why don't you use a hybrid? Actually, I prefer hitting irons to... Because you're just a ball striker. Well, you know me. <laughs> uh, but some people do prefer hitting the iron to the to the fairway wood. You don't know whether... Also, um, depending on the course conditions, if we're talking about professionals, some people might think, oh, if there's a bit of rough around, then actually I'd like to take a hybrid because I can get the hybrid out of the rough. Or actually... I think Paul Casey, if I remember rightly, he used to have um, this two-iron, which he just said, if I'm playing a shortish par four, I can just hit that, and it's just a laser. I can just hit the middle of every single fairway. You know, it's obviously, with an iron, you can get, obviously, a bit more accuracy, obviously, um, as well. So some people say, I can get the distance with a two-iron. Of course, it means I can get the accuracy as well. Don't Not every shot has to go 300 yards, does it? Cool, very you should, um, you insightful should see how far that. I can hit my ping crossover. Probably 200 yards. I can hit it over 200 yards. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it's, uh, well, I played it, I was having a ba- very bad round and I had it in the bag and I hadn't hit it and um, when I started hitting it and I, I, went up, I went absolutely points berserk, I think if I remember right. I made an equipment change this week actually. I oh, put hello, this, a, is, this, is, this should have been the headline story of the podcast, but go on. I put a hybrid in the bag and took a wedge out, so I've only got two or three wedges now. Uh, I couldn't take my three iron out because I love that. That is a like a utility three iron, a bit like your two iron. Then I've got a three wood and had nothing in between, which was fine in the summer when the ball runs, but... I needed a little bit more carry distance in the winter. Yeah. And the first thing I noticed when I hit it was like, oh my God, that went high. 
They so do, it's, yeah. it's like nice to get that, that extra carry. Again, that's it with, with Woods. Woods usually do uh, launch the ball up very high. Yeah. And obviously that is good for some courses and it's not so good for others. So, um, and yeah, irons you can obviously maybe manipulate the flight a little bit more. Anyway, I think I'm f- talking far too much about m- my... You sound like you know what you're talking about. No, very rare. Um, but thanks for listening. Um, I will m- most probably be back next week. Yeah, what's happening next week? Well, we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll let the uh, view, uh, the, the listeners find out. Because uh, as I said, Elliot's on holiday somewhere. Maybe we'll ring you up. Live podcast from uh, Phuket Beach or wherever you are. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Exactly. So... Um, yeah, but next week's quite a big week because we're going to preview the DP World Tour Championship as the race to Dubai concludes. Elliot's left at the end of the season. Thanks, mate. Well, uh, if the players don't care, then, you know, why should we? <laughs> well, quite. Uh, we'll also hear an exclusive interview with Matt Wallace. Uh, and of course, as we said earlier, Matt is on the cover of this month's Golf Monthly. Um, as ever, remember to subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us. Follow us on social media at Golf Monthly and Instagram at Golf Monthly and also at Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Elliot, I hope you have a fantastic holiday. Thank you very much, Tom. Listeners, I will speak to you in about three weeks. Indeed, and I will speak to you next week. Bye-bye.